Welcome to episode 9 of Comedy, Tragedy, Marriage. This one's going to be a little different, as the subject matter uh, of the film we watched uh, was kind of heavy. Well, not kind of heavy. It was heavy. Um, and to tell you more about that is my better half, Maud. This week, I find myself, Maud, the crying like a girl broad. <laughs> And honestly, um, because what I chose this week, I had actually watched before. I thought possibly I might be able to get through without becoming completely unglued. Not so much. Completely unglued, crying like a girl. This week's selection, chosen by me, was the docudrama film entitled Defiant Requiem. It, uh, it was filmed produced in 2012 so it is not a new item um, it has aired we watched it on Amazon streaming it has been on PBS several times um, it is the documentary story of a Jewish concentration camp um, called Terezin in a town that was built for that purpose called Theresienstadt. Um, somehow or other, Terezin found itself to house an inordinate concentration of Czechoslovakia's youngest, finest, brightest, most creative, artistic, musical, theatrical um, souls of the era. Um, and the story that follows is of pianist conductor Raphael Schechter, who was imprisoned there and managed to gather for himself a ragtag bunch of choristers and teach them without scores other than his own by repetition um, the words and music to the Verdi Requiem Mass. The performance was an effort to not stick it to their captors, but kind of stick it to their captors. Yes. To send it to send a message that we we as inmates here will not let this beat us. Even if we do not survive it, we will survive it in a spiritual metaphorical sense. So, Stan, your thoughts? Uh, it is a powerful uh, documentary. It is uh, narrated by B.B. Newworth, who was Lilith uh, on Cheers and Frasier. Um, it is a solemn yet hopeful uh, documentary about the, uh, perf the staging of this performance um, in 2012 or 2011, whenever it was, um, in this um, Jewish concentration camp town, um, and how it's connected to some survivors. Uh, there are some survivors of the camp and performers uh, in the concert uh, who are interviewed. Uh, there's one uh, little couple 
um, who were both in the camp. I don't know if they were married when they were in the camp, but they have subsequently married. And two of their sons are performing in the choir. In the in the new choir, yes. In I neglected, the new choir. I neglected to say that um, conductor Murray Sidlin had a vision to recreate the Verdi Requiem back in the Terrazine space um, with survivors present. Um, as you say, the Kraza's sons participated in the choir as well. Um, with a full orchestra this time. Mm -hmm. Not just a piano like they did when it was in the camp. Um, they showed a lot of cutaway shots throughout the film of um, choristers' faces during rehearsals, mm -hmm. during the actual performance. Um, I saw very few without tears or um, there was one girl who actually had to stop singing because she was so overcome um he the the director took them into the basement where uh, the prison camp people secretly, rehearsed yeah where they secretly practiced um and you know there's a hundred plus people jammed into this little damp cold concrete room and they're singing this beautiful music um, and uh, a soprano is is performing her solo uh, and the choir is there performing the background work and there is this there were a couple uh, that I noticed that uh, were either on the verge of tears or were actually crying um, and as they are filling that room again with Verde's Requiem um, as had been done 50 or 70 years earlier. I have to give a shout out to my friend Lucas Richmond who um, was for 12 years the conductor and artistic director of the Knoxville Symphony Orchestra. The chorus that I sing with in the Knoxville Choral Society collaborates with the Knoxville Symphony on a regular basis and several years ago when Lucas was still with us we were preparing the Verdi Requiem and he came to our rehearsal one evening to work us and before he started with the chorus he mentioned this docudrama and said this this may be something that you would benefit from seeing um, to give you a different level of understanding of this work. Of course, the Verdi Requiem was written in the 1800s. He was a, you know, a composer of a past era. It's one of the most technically demanding um, choral works in all of repertoire. Um, it was my first time to perform it, and um, I watched this docudrama as we were preparing the work and came unglued. Um, came unglued then, have come unglued the couple of times I've watched it since then. Just um, so poignant and so moving. Um, the Requiem Mass is all about, um, it's, it's the Mass for the Dead. And it speaks to such things uh, as, su such themes as deliverance. Um, Lord, liberate me, free me, save me. 
Um, it talks about the day of wrath and judgment, which was a particularly strong theme, apparently, for these Jewish choristers as they prepared this, thinking there will be a day of judgment for this regime that is exterminating an entire race of people. And they, um, they even performed the, the work for Nazi officers. They did. Um, even, had the Nazis understood the, um, the text, the text, because it's in Latin, um, but had they known any Latin, they, you know, might have punished, of course they were punishing these people all the time anyway, but they might have increased the punishment to these performers had they realized that these Jewish people were singing to the Nazis about uh, their coming wrath, their the punishment that they would face from God, the um, their liberation eventually. It it's it was a pardon the expression ballsy piece to perform in front of the Nazis, which is precisely why the conductor picked it. I can't help but wonder, had Raphael Schechter not died, um, he did survive Theresienstadt, and he survived three concentration camps after Theresienstadt, and eventually died in 1945 in Death March, a month before liberation yeah. came. Um, I can't help but thinking, as Conductor Murray Sidlin said, that so many of Europe's best, brightest, most gifted were snuffed out prematurely, that the next great generation of Czech composers may have been in this camp and exterminated, and what the world could have been like had they survived. Yes. Um, it is a painful documentary to watch, not only because of the subject matter, but, if you'll forgive me, um, the fact that there are people in our country, this country, the United States, who espouse a uh, belief system so similar to the Nazis. I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to. So no forgiveness necessary. It is a frightening, it is a frightening time in our country where such ideas as these are being emboldened once again, where such progress seemed to have been made as far as the various isms and phobias and, and fear and hatred for anything that one might perceive as being different or other, mm -hmm. again, in a conversation with my friend Lucas, um, different and other don't necessarily mean bad. In fact, most of the time they don't. It's just our ignorance and fear that makes us um, assume that something different from us is not good. Is somehow a threat. A threat. And it isn't. Uh, the threat is coming from those who want to 
you know, beat down anybody or or marginalize anybody who is not within their uh, realm of understanding. And that could be from from being Jewish or Catholic, because the Catholics have faced a lot of persecution. Sure over the years all, in this in this country. All religions have because some other religion doesn't like them. Well, uh, yeah, that's kind of why this country was founded. That's why, that's why the first settlers came to America to escape and conduct religious persecution. <laughs> they, yeah. they wanted it both ways. Um, but, you know, whether it's because you're Jewish or you're Catholic or uh, you have a sexual preference that is different from what is considered the norm and i believe you have a book that says normal is just a setting on the oh patsy patsy claremont wrote a book once called normal is just a setting on your dryer she is a christian thinker comic woman of faith she's um very insightful and hilariously funny so that's another thing to check out at another time and you know the the fear of of anything different i i don't understand it i mean i can understand if a guy you know you see a guy walking down the street and he's uh his shirt is uh got blood spatter on it and he's carrying a knife that's who you need to be afraid of um you don't need to be afraid of somebody because they're gay or lesbian or transsexual or uh, Jewish or uh, uh, Catholic or atheist or agnostic. There's nothing to be afraid of. And yet, these groups continue to exist. I don't know how much about growing, but you know they cause a great deal of death and, and heartache in this country. And my dad went to Europe in the 40s, and he wasn't a frontline soldier. He was a mechanic. He fixed jeeps. He fixed tanks. He fixed howitzers. He fixed whatever needed to be fixed. And But he did it, A, because he was drafted. Or was he? I'll have to check with my older brother on that. I'm not sure if he, if he knew he was going to be drafted and then he just volunteered, volunteered or if he was drafted. I'll have to double check on that. But he went. He went to Europe and fixed the things that needed to be fixed and went to the front lines at, uh, on one occasion during the Battle of the Bulge yeah. to fix something. I think it was a piece of artillery. But my dad didn't do that just so these people can act like the Holocaust didn't happen or that white supremacy is not a problem in America or uh, religious intolerance, both people who are intolerant of other religions and the religious who are intolerant of the non-religious or the differently religious. You know, he didn't fight he didn't go over there and risk his life and lose friends, because he did, uh, on the front lines in Europe, for this stuff to start up again. There's that old saying, people who uh, refuse to learn from history are doomed, doomed to, to repeat, repeat it. it, and we are currently repeating it. 
I don't understand it. It makes me sick. We can't get out of our own way for the hate. We really can't. And um, I'm, I'm glad to see that watching this wasn't a total snore for you because oh, no. you are you're wide awake. <laughs> well, I'm glad for that. Yes, I am wide awake. Um, kind of pissed off, but wide I, awake. I am angry. Yes, uh, and you know we have watched these. Uh, we've watched a lot of World War II documentaries we have, over the years. We have personal interest because Stan's father was a World War II veteran. My, I have a number of family members who served during that era as well. Um, Uncle Junior was in the South Pacific. Um, I had people in Europe. Um, Uncle John Flanagan was at Normandy. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and made it home, which he was the most snake-bit person in the world. So for him to survive that, he had every accident that was left coming to him. I believe he was at Normandy. Well, my dad landed at, at the beaches on uh, at the beach of Normandy, mm -hmm. but a few weeks after the the actual assault, that yeah. few weeks after D-Day. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, this, I, I'm glad you selected this. It was enlightening and depressing, and the music is beautiful. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. The music geek in me kind of thought that you might sort of snooze at that as well. Well, it's not your bag, it's typically. Not, it's not what I would choose, but I can appreciate the fact that, that uh, Verdi's Requiem is a, a spectacular uh, piece of music when performed well, and it certainly is in um, Defiant Requiem. It's a, a, a spectacular pieces. piece of music. Yeah, and, and the snippets that we hear, um, the snippets that we hear are well chosen. We hear snippets of the movement where it talks about light perpetual shining on them, our mm -hmm. departed dead. Um, the Dies Irae, Day of Wrath, is prominently featured. Um, it struck me hard that Theresienstadt was chosen as a marketing propaganda camp. Yeah. Um, dignitaries from Switzerland, from the Red Cross. Yes. Um, the were, International Red Cross were were toured around the camp at Terrazine, and in preparation for their tour, they beautified and gentrified the place. They built swing sets and nap areas for the children. Well, let's let's just. We need to pause for a minute. No, <laughs> um, the the camp, uh, the people at the camp beautified it under orders under of the orders. Nazis. Yeah. The Nazis didn't beautify anything. They they gave the orders and and the camp um, the prisoners um, did all the renovations and built all the stuff and they made anyway. it they made it fancy for company. Yes, they and did. they used it. They used that and leveraged that into a propaganda film. And also fooled the uh, Red Cross representatives. Oh, yeah. Into thinking that the Jews were well taken care of, uh, that this 
and it was sold as a city given to the Jews. Mm-hmm. And it was that way until they left, and then the next day everything was gone, including the children. They got put on a train they, to Auschwitz. They struck set, basically, yeah. after after you've been in a thea- theatrical production, when you tear everything back down, it's called striking set. They yeah. struck the set. So um, I had heard of that propaganda film before. I didn't know it was at this, and I had heard of the um, concentration camp um, choir, um, but I didn't know that they were at the same place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's 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 quite a gut punch to watch this. Um, although there, as I said, there is some hopefulness in it uh, because you see the survivors. Um, and they they talk about how they lived, they they made it, and the Nazis failed. They didn't destroy the Jewish people. There's this one little lady. I don't remember her name. She reminds me of a family member. I won't say which one, um, but she talked about the transcendent power that practicing and performing this music had on these prisoners it gave them something to alleviate their suffering for a time she said we did not think of the hunger Mm -hmm. when we were singing they had 100 hour work weeks um minimum and there was very little food um and of course and they were overpopulated in a very small area Typhus, fleas, bed bugs, bed bugs, overcrowding, disease ran rampant, and people were dying in droves. Before but, they had the chance to kill them. Right. But when they were singing, they were transported to a different place. Um, a place that wasn't as ugly. Uh, and it gave them a small amount of hope. This is what music can do at its best, what art in general can do at its best. Terezin became something of a, of a down-low artist colony. I mean, they talked about people writing plays and writing new musical compositions and poetry. And white and, operas. And artwork. Yes, um, they showed some of the, uh, some of it was stuff they had to hide because it showed the day-to-day life of the camp. They were documenting their existence, and that did have to be hidden. Uh, but they would they would steal little bits of paper and, and ink, and they would draw and draw actual you know scenes from the camp, which then the documentary animates, um, which I think adds a, a certain emotional level because these static pictures begin to move. Um, and you can just see the, the, the weight of their situation on their rounded shoulders as they're walking around, uh, as best they can after a long day's work. They um, also found a little place and made an ersatz synagogue. Yeah, that and, definitely had to be hidden. And had worship there. The, the human spirit at its indomitable finest as people of faith and people of art. And if you aren't down enough, we'll continue our discussion of Defiant Requiem right after this.
and welcome back. Um, what I mean, you've seen you've seen this several times, so eleventy. Uh, My rating is eleventy. Eleventy, okay, uh, yeah, five stars for me too. It is both. Um, the music makes you know is is beautiful, but the historical significance of it is incredibly moving. And when those uh, when those two boys hug their dad, or one of the boys hugs his dad, the two guys who are in, the crosses. Yeah, the crosses. And when they show the crosses sitting in the audience and they're holding hands, and they're probably both in their mid eighties. At this um, point, at least, yes. Yeah. Um, it, it, if you aren't moved by that, there is something seriously wrong with you. So, five stars from me, 11 stars, because she can't follow rules from Maud. Uh, Look up, um, do a generic search for Defiant Requiem. You will be amazed at the resources, information, and knowledge that you can find. There's also a website that uh, for where I mean, <laughs> you can even you know request that um, there's something about requesting a performance. Yeah. Um, uh, Defiantrequiem.org. Yeah. Uh, want to learn about scheduling a performance? Put in your contact information, and they'll get in touch. Murray Sidlin's vision here was. Um, Brilliant and much needed and yes. um, prophetic, I would say. Yeah. It is a shame that it is as important as it is because of our situation um, right now with the rise of nationalism and um, anti-Semitism and anti-immigrant and all so, the rest of it. So many isms and phobias and can't we just be kind yeah it's exhausting if you think a lot about it um i think we lulled ourselves over the last decade into thinking things were improving far more than we actually thought they were well they were but progress is fragile well um yeah uh, it requires a vigilance that i think we allow allowed to slip yes agreed all right, let's move on to something else, shall we? Sure. Um, this week I went to see two movies, uh, one of which is uh, the sixth film in the Terminator series. It's called Terminator Dark Fate. It's fine for what <laughs> it is. Meh. We have seen this story again and again and again. Uh, there's nothing terribly new or interesting in this version of it. Uh, they keep upgrading the Terminators that get sent back in time to try to kill whatever person it is they're trying to kill to make sure that their future happens, the bad guys, the way they want it to. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's a decent action picture, but as far as being something unique or, or interesting, I really wasn't interested the whole time because, you know, it again, it follows the same story structure that we have seen now six times. So this is an hour and a half of your life that you can't get back. Closer to two. Oh, um, gosh. And let me... Uh, two things. I normally sit through the whole 
credits just in case. Yeah. I should just look up. I should just Google if there's a end a mid or end credit scene uh, for the, the whatever you know. If there's a chance there might be one. I didn't bother, and as soon as the credits started, I got up. Wow, okay, that's a big statement for you, Stan, <laughs> because you never do that. I do not do that. Trust me, this is a big deal. Also, the second thing is, I had another my other movie that I needed to see, that I needed to get to, which was Across Town, and I only had 20 minutes when this movie ended. I thought I'd have a half an hour, but I only had 20 minutes. Uh, but I got there. I got to my second movie in plenty of time, and... Uh, that second movie is a Korean film called Parasite. Um, it sounds like it would be kind of uh, dark, but initially it's not. It's uh, this family of grifters who, um, well, they're not, well, yeah, they are. Um, <laughs> they're, they're unemployed, they have no money, they have no prospects, and they want to do as little as possible for as much of a return as possible. So, one of them is told by a friend about uh, a very rich family that needs a, um, that needs a uh, English tutor for their daughter. And so, uh, he fakes some documents to make it look like he's in college and goes and gets this job uh, as an English counselor, English tutor. And then the uh, mother of this wealthy family says, you know, is bragging about how artistically gifted her son is. And, you know, he's he's like six or seven. Mm. Um, and his art just looks like any six or seven-year-olds. Uh, but he says, he uh, the tutor says he knows an art teacher that is much in demand, but maybe she's available. That is actually his sister. Yeah who isn't an art teacher, but... But what can, do they know? ...can fake... Exactly. What do they know? Uh, as a matter of fact, a line in the movie is, the rich are naive. And this family especially is. And so his sister comes in and impresses the mom and gets a job. Um, and um, Sorry, I almost sneezed. That's fine. <laughs> There's this thing called editing. Um... And then they manage to get the uh, rich family's uh, driver fired. Uh, and the father of the grifter family comes in and takes that job. Okay. And they manage to get the housekeeper fired. And the mom comes in and takes that job. So all four of them are working for this wealthy family. So everybody got a job. Making a decent amount of money off these people. They're even considering ways... To one day marry into the family. <laughs> okay. And then just take over their house. Sounds plausible. And that's when things get weird. Oh. They do get weird. This movie is like four different movies all wrapped up into one. And from the trailer, you would think it was a slow burn horror movie. It is not. It is a domestic comedy to oh. start with. And then it isn't. And then it becomes kind of a crime drama. And then it's not. <laughs> and uh, it was so thoroughly unpredictable, and but unpredictable in a way that was believable. It wasn't so weird that 
it they didn't it, junk the shark they, yeah, right well yeah they they don't they don't lose you with how strange the weird twists and turns it takes they actually make some sense okay well i'm glad that and then the way it ends is heartbreaking oh and i loved it so much oh i'm glad it was so good and maybe compared to terminator dark fate and the fact that it that movie is so predictable and so you know even if you can't predict everything that happens in terminator dark fate you're gonna get the basics well yeah because again you've seen it six times now it's kind of a formula right whereas uh parasite is as far from formulaic as it can possibly get. Uh, it's only in about 460 theaters nationwide, uh, 460 screens nationwide. So if you know you have an art house theater, which fortunately we do um, here in Knoxville, well, uh, it you may have uh, you may have a, one screen uh, in in your city that has Parasite. But if you don't, uh, go to your theater manager and say, hey, put this movie in, because it's really, really good. Stan the Movie Man said so. Ooh, and powerful endorsement. Yeah, right. They'll go, and he is... He's that guy on that thing. And that thing is... So, uh, anyway, and if, if you can't get it in your own local theater, then by all means, it will show up on streaming any time now. Um, um, I can't remember the director's name. I think it's Bon Joon, um, Bo Joon Ho or something along that I'll line. Look I'll look phone. a smartphone. Well, Why I wanted to, I wanted to search? avoid, well, you know, when I said, oh, I can't remember his name. I didn't exactly see you popping up there getting it. I didn't go see the movie. I don't know from the director. Well, but I'm I'm real glad that you liked it though, especially since Terminator was so meh. Um, I'm glad that this was not a meh and that you enjoyed it. This particular director uh, has directed um, a Snowpiercer, uh, which is a science fiction film about all of humanity on a frozen Earth. Everybody's packed in trains and they're constantly moving. They're like nuclear-powered trains. But the trains are divided up by class. So if you're poor, you're in the back and times are hard. And if you're rich, you're in the front. I may have those backwards, but I don't think I do. Yeah. Uh, but he, um, Bong Joon-ho is okay. his name, South Korean director. Excuse me. We all feel better now. Thank you. And um, he also did... Um, um, well, he's done. He did a a, a movie about a mother tr uh, trying to uh, make sure her son isn't convicted of a crime he didn't commit, mm. and that movie's called Mother. That's also supposed to be very very good. Yeah, that sounds like an interesting story. Um, and the Netflix film o Oka about the giant pig like thing that is supposed to be a food source. A little girl falls in love with it Aww. as a pet. Aww. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that uh, that's exactly how they want you to think about that. Yeah. So they got me. Yeah, uh, he is a unique director 
uh, who can uh, the host. It's another one that's also on Netflix, or at least it was. It's it's a apparently a basic monster movie, but it's got something else going on uh, underneath the surface. Underneath the surface. So um, yeah, he's he is an interesting director. His movies are made for you know next to nothing. They look amazing, um, and they make a ton of money. Parasite was made for like $16 million U.S. and has so far made $106 million worldwide. Wow. Uh, now, uh, generally, a movie studio gets approximately half of the gross. So, still. Well, yeah, that's a huge return. So, yeah, he's he, he knows how to make an interesting, uh, unpredictable and just just well-made movie for not a lot of money. Terminator Dark Fate was made for north of $185 million. And its opening weekend, it made 29 domestically. It made like 120 total worldwide. Uh, that ain't going to do it. No, that's not going to cut it. Because, you know, just between promotion interest on the money they have to borrow to make the movies um, and and other you know costs that movie's going to have to make at least 600 million dollars just to break even and they're already predicting a hundred million dollar loss on it so yeah that's uh, that's that's not going to um, that's not the kind of math that's, you want. that's not the kind of math you want to see um, Maybe it's because, you know, James Cameron, it, who was the original writer-director of the first two Terminator movies. And husband of the star. At the time. At the time, yes. Um, uh, you know, he's working on those 50 Avatar sequels he's supposed to be making. So uh, maybe he didn't have the time to devote to this, to Terminator Dark Fate. Uh, but... Yeah, no. Well, it's, there's only so much that the director can do with the script they're given, first of all. Well, he, he helped write. Oh, well, one. then there you go. <laughs> You're kind of, you've shot yourself in the toe there, buddy. Kind of. So, yeah, that uh, that was not, um, uh, of those two movie experiences, one was significantly better than the other. And if you have an opportunity to see Parasite, I suggest you do that because it is an adventure. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. Look liked at you it with your so little, much. Little boy face all lighten up. Liked it so much. I'm uh, glad. Have you uh, watched or seen anything? Uh, I know you've been busy here in the last little bit. I did a very indulgent thing oh, over that? the weekend. Mm -hmm. I sat down Friday night and I devoured a book in one sitting. Now, I know that books are not typically what we talk about here, but it, it's an entertainment for me. Well, that's fine. It was a very engrossing story. Um, it was called Every Note Played by Lisa Genova. Um, she was the woman who wrote the book Still Alice. Um, the story of which was made into a movie starring Julianne Moore, who plays a young, brilliant professor with early onset Alzheimer's disease and chronicles her journey from um, being her normal, brilliant self to becoming more and more impaired. 
um, the storyline of every note played is a brilliant concert pianist who develops ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. Wow, she really likes to go with the light and happy story, doesn't well, she? Well, she's got a neuroscience background, so she can um, can relate to these stories and write with some expertise and do a lot of wonderful research and and give some nitty gritty. Um, education and information about the illnesses. Um, you and I have a little bit of personal experience with Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, when I first became a hospice volunteer years ago, my first home visits were with an end-stage ALS patient. Um, flash forward a couple of years from there and a friend and co-worker of yours um, at age 51 died. She was 51 or 52 when Somewhere she died. There, yeah. um, died of Lou Gehrig's disease, which was actually um, diagnosed rather late. She had had a, a fall and an injury and started developing symptoms after that. And it was um, a long journey to finally narrowing down that her symptoms were not related to the fall that she suffered, but were in fact ALS. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a a difficult uh, thing to her voice was the first thing that was noticeable about her condition uh, even before we knew what it was she sounded like she mumbled a lot but it was just you know the the muscles were being affected in her throat and and face and um, she you know and she became what would from the outside appear to be clumsy yes um and which may have, have been involved in the fall but you know because she really banged her head uh the back of her head really hard when she yeah. when she fell they thought she slipped on some water or something at a restaurant but it may have been the ALS. Um. Luke Eric's disease is a neuromuscular disease, so eventually every muscle impulse in the body is affected. Yes. Um, this was a gripping story of a musician's journey to brilliance and then into disease. Um, marriage, divorce, angry child, forgiveness, redemption, hope. I mean, it really, it covers the gamut. And I honestly, I, I read the thing in a matter of hours. I took bathroom breaks and that was it. And it was such a, an indulgent thing for me to do to just sit down and read a book from cover to cover, but it was glorious, even though my choice of subject matter, once again, not cotton candy, unicorn dust, and r rainbow all the time. No, uh, they're not. Um, it doesn't have to be. There's no requirement that it be a you know a romantic comedy every time. Because I think my last choice was Charlie Brown. That's so. true. Um, and uh, do you think there's a chance that this one's going to be made a movie as well? I have no idea. It's a relatively recent book. I think the copyright was 2017, mm -hmm. possibly. Mm -hmm. um, it would make a glorious film. I mean, like I'm already casting people in my mind, but um, I don't know. We'll see. All right. Um, let's see. What else? What else? What else? There's really not much else. You know, I I, I like to sit down and, and watch uh, science stuff, 
Um, there's, uh, you know, several hours of space stuff on the Science Channel on Monday nights. Uh, I like how the universe works, and th that's the name of the show. Um, and I enjoy uh, what, mostly I enjoy the animations more than anything else. Okay little bit of a sidetrack here, but it fits. Mike Rowe did a lot of the voiceover narrations for yes. a lot of those shows. Mm -hmm. Well, he's come out with his book called um, The Way I Heard It. It's based upon his podcast of the same title, which in which he takes a little-known story of a person we all know, and it, it kind of has a bit of a Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. Yeah kind of flavor to mm -hmm. it. The podcasts that I have listened to have been very entertaining. Um, Mike Rowe is a commanding speaker. He's a smart writer. He's um, he's a former opera singer who admits that he was bad at it. Um, Self-deprecating and... Former host on QVC. Oh yeah, really, really said he sucked <laughs> at that job and didn't didn't care that he sucked at that job. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he was really... He wasn't about selling, you know, collector dolls on the overnight shift. It was not. It was not his bag of choice. His but if gig. you get a chance to watch some of his video, I think there a lot of it is on you, or some of it's on YouTube. Pretty funny stuff. Mike, so just search Mike Rowe R O W E. Yes. Q V C, and it's pretty entertaining. You might be amazed at what you come up with. <laughs> and then that might send you down a whole bunch of other YouTube home shopping channel rabbit holes that you may or may not be prepared for psychologically. Yeah, like the uh, the uh, ladder that uh, collapsed on the guy uh, as he was at the top of it. and The home shopping host that passed out on her teammate and the other guy just picks right up and he's <laughs> like, she didn't even fall over, whatever. Um, um, or the guy who's selling swords and, and slams it on the on on the desk in front of him and it breaks, it breaks. and it stabs him. Uh, Good that's, stuff. That's, that's, there's a lot of fun to be had. Sp uh, speaking of YouTube, uh, I've also been watching um, BuzzFeed Unsolved. Uh, it's these two guys who uh, sometimes they're talking about ghosts or Area 51 or Ooh. aliens or uh, true crime. And uh, the, the ghost ones are the best ones because they go on the ghost hunt. But one of them does not believe in ghosts at all. He thinks it's all a bunch of hooey. Super skeptic. Yes. And the other guy is all in. He, <laughs> he, uh, is, he is waiting f to be possessed by uh, somebody's spirit. Or, oh, man. I bet or, he thinks wrestling's real, too. Uh, no, I don't think he probably does, but he just he does believe in ghosts. So, uh, yeah, those two guys are fun to watch. And the longest episodes may be a half hour long. Um, okay. But they are funny together. And uh, it is it is well worth the investment of time to to uh, search out BuzzFeed Unsolved. Okay, and micro podcast the way I heard it. Yes, book coming out doing very well. Um, so yeah, I'm I haven't been a total lump this week. I mean, I've been <laughs> mostly a lump. You're but not a lump. You're never a lump. I'm. Well, yeah, but it's okay. Yeah. It's part of my charm. No, well, that, you are correct. You are charming. 
Aww. In your lumpiness. Stan. Oh, Maud. You sweet thing. You. The Maud the crying like a girl broad this week. Anyway, next, well, my next choice will not be something this heavy, promise. Uh, swear. Let's see. What is... T- today is... November 5th. November 5th. Election Day. Oh, yes. Lord. Well, not every place has elections today, but... No, yeah. but a lot of places do. Yes. Municipal things. Yeah. I, I hope a bunch of people went out and voted today. Um, let's see. Let's see. Next week, next Tuesday is the 12th, which is the launch of a new streaming service called Disney Plus, where they have all of the, um, you know, uh, well, all. They have the majority of the Disney cartoons and movies. Okay. Uh, they have Star, all the Star Wars. Woohoo. <laughs> I'm all up in that. You they know. have uh, they have all the Marvel movies. Um, well, all the Marvel movies that they own the rights to. Um, they and they have all of the Simpsons. Woohoo! Uh, they have um, a lot of the Fox movies. Okay, cool. You know, since they bought Fox. Um, let's see, and that may be where our ne- my next selection comes from. Maybe mine too. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? All right. Please, uh, thank you, thank you very much for for listening. Uh, we made it to a hundred downloads. Woohoo! Woohoo! That's my word for this week. Apparently, is woohoo. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for that. If you have subscribed on. Uh, any of these uh, podcasting Podcast platforms. platforms. <laughs> Jinx. Uh, you owe me a Coke. Jinx on a drink. Um, and uh, thank you very much for that. If you would be so kind, even if you don't listen to us on Apple Podcasts, to please go there and give us five stars and a review and a subscribe. You don't have to listen to it through the Apple Podcast app, but subscribing there helps us even if you don't listen to it there, uh, because it'll automatically download, and we'll get two for one. Credit. (laughs) Extra credit, because yay. Uh, Yes, yay. Um, And, um, you know, uh, just tell your friends, share it on uh, social media, uh, that you are listening to Comedy Tragedy Marriage, and we would greatly appreciate it. Next week, it'll be something from the Disney Plus platform. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Will it be the original Iron Man? <laughs> Will it be Aladdin? Not the not the live action version, the cartoon. Well, yeah. Um, I don't know. We'll have to see. And you'll have to see when you join us next week on Comedy Tragedy Marriage. Until next time. Later. later. Yay!